from UNH Cooperative Extension. This is Overinformed on IPM. Part two, a very philosophical discussion on integrated pest management or IPM. Most of this podcast series will be dedicated to explaining the practice of IPM. However, I'm going to use these introductory episodes to break down critical elements of IPM. And in this episode, I'm going to cover the first steps, identification and monitoring. So let's start out with another definition of IPM. Yeah, I am uh, Jan Nairup. I am an entomologist, and I'm also director of Cornell Agritech and the Cornell University Agricultural Experiment Station. It is an information-intensive, biologically-based approaches, set of approaches to managing pests. And so what I mean by information-intensive is that it is real-time, it's integrative, it is using as much of the information you can, well, let me step back, it's using as much data as you can, translating that to information, and then making a second translation to management practices, okay? And it is doing that in the context of you're trying to understand this pretty complex biological system to drive that in a direction or a set of outcomes that are meaningful to you. I really like this definition of an information-intensive process. Maybe that's because I really love data. In theory, decisions should be easier to make if you have more information. That's not always true, but your first step in IPM, a sometimes shockingly overlooked first step, is figuring out what's causing the problem, identification. Extension offers many services to help you here, be it with providing photographs and fact sheets on common pests in your area, or by offering diagnostic services where you send actual physical samples in to be identified. Check out the website of your local Extension offices for more information. If you are in New Hampshire, you can look at our website at extension.unh.edu to find instructions on how to use these services. And if you're a commercial grower, don't forget to check that box as a commercial grower as you will get different information than for a home gardener. All right, so you've figured out what's causing your problem. The next step is to monitor that pest population so you know when action is necessary. But translating the data you collect from monitoring isn't always so clear-cut. This is something IPM specialists grapple with on a pretty regular basis, and it came up when I was asking another colleague to define IPM. Hi, my name is Daniel Frank. I'm an extension entomology specialist at West Virginia University. You know, the short and sweet of it, multiple control tactics used in a compatible manner. But, uh, of course, there's so many more elements that go into IPM, um, such as, you know, correct pest identification and, and monitoring of that pest, establishment of thresholds, um, in addition to the multiple control tactics used in a compatible manner. Um, but also, you know, looking at 
the environmental uh, impacts of what your control strategies you know are are doing as well. Is there anything that people get wrong when they are trying to employ IPM or understand what it is? Um, I don't know if they get things wrong necessarily, but there's there's a lot of I guess disagreement about what IPM is. Just as an example, I was speaking to a grower and and we were talking and I was trying to get them to implement certain IPM strategies or just implement IPM in general. And they were saying, Oh yeah, we we do IPM, we do IPM. And, you know, I was asking them, you know, what specifically were they doing that was IPM because I know this particular grower goes out and sprays on a calendar basis, you know, bi-weekly sprays. And I'm like, well, what exactly are you doing that's IPM? And he says, well, we have traps out that are monitoring these insects. So, you know, they are doing the monitoring, but they're not basing sprays on which, what they're catching. So um, I think there's a lot of, I guess, not exactly knowing how to put the pieces together you know, what exactly is an IPM program. Just because you do certain aspects of it doesn't necessarily mean that it's an IPM program. I guess you can argue that it is, you know, that person was monitoring, but in the overall scheme of what an IPM program is, spraying, you know, on a, on a bi-weekly, you know, bi-monthly basis is not, not IPM. So within IPM theory, uh, essentially, you keep an eye on the bad guys until they get out of hand, and then you act to manage that pest population before it hurts your bottom line, before it hurts the quality or the yield of the crop that you're growing. But just monitoring for the sake of monitoring is a waste of time. You're not going to use that information to make management decisions. However, another situation, what if your monitoring approach is not detecting a threatening population early enough? For you to act when are preemptive strikes appropriate? My name is Heather Fobert and I'm a research associate at the University of Rhode Island. So I was there not quite in the beginning of Apple IPM, but pretty close to the beginning. And for, for disease, for Apple scab in particular, we were saying, well, wait until you have an infection period and then go in with materials that give you kickback. You know, that the, the, the cylinders, the Cyprex would give you 24 or 48 hours kickback and the Captain will give you 24 hours kickback. And then all the, the SI fungicides will give you, you know, up to five days kickback. And then it was soon apparent that, no, we can't live this way. We need to do the way we've always been doing apple scab, which is keeping on protective sprays and maybe using those kickback materials when you get in trouble. Uh, and a lot of growers think, well, I'm spraying in a, you know, a fungicide anyway, so I'm not sure when I'll be spraying again, so I might as well put my insecticide in now. I don't think IPM has, at least in fruit trees, has, has panned out the way that we expected it you know, back in the late 70s, early 80s. But that's also a good example of how philosophical concepts have modernized. If it started out saying, you know, you really should only be doing an action on your crop if you see a population that's threatening, right? So like you should only be acting based on things you actually see out in the field. And the more data we collect and the more experience that we have, like what you were just saying is preventative approaches are an appropriate part of IPM where like maybe the original intention of IPM didn't, didn't have a role. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. For insects as well, you know, you, you know, if you know you have a problem with coddling moth, which we a lot of people in Rhode Island had problems with coddling moth last year. And so do we now need to just be using degree day models and, and, and apply insecticides using degree day models? And we call that IPM, <laughs> you, know, you know, rather than waiting to see. Because the development of many pest insects and the pathogens that cause plant diseases can be predicted based on abiotic conditions like temperature and humidity, sometimes monitoring just means keeping an eye on the weather. If you're not familiar with the NEWA website, that's N-E-W-A, or the Network for Environment and Weather Applications, you really should check it out at newa.cornell.edu. There are predictive models for lots of fruit diseases and insect pests that could be helpful for you. Here in New Hampshire, we have joined the Cornell Network and have set up weather stations to supply data to these predictive models that you can access on the website. These weather stations are located on farms around the state. Um, one of these stations might be near your farm, and they supply a much better source of weather data than the weather stations we normally get our weather from, which are usually at airports or located in some urban environment that can affect temperature based on man-made infrastructure. There are also many regional monitoring networks available online. Uh, you may ask your local extension professionals about resources that are appropriate for your area. Here in New Hampshire, George Hamilton has made sure to supply local growers with lots of great regional trapping data on the most important pests of corn, pumpkins, and small fruit. These numbers are updated on the extension website weekly during the season, so look for alerts on that. And now this is really important. All of these online resources can be very helpful, but they should be taken with a grain of salt. Weather-based prediction models are helpful in pinpointing the time at which pest insects might be the most susceptible or when risk factors for disease are the highest. However, they do not tell you how severe the pest pressure is on your farm. Your management practices or the habitat surrounding your farm can lead to very different situations from farm to farm. So for many pests, scouting, trapping, record keeping from year to year can be really critical. So get into it. Uh, that's it for this episode. Thanks to my colleagues for helping me out with this project. You'll be hearing more from them later, uh, later on in the season. And a very special thanks to Brentwood's favorite son, Jason Lightbound, who wrote and performed our theme music. Informed on IPM is a production of the University of New Hampshire Cooperative Extension, an equal opportunity educator and employer. All music is used by permission or by Creative Commons licensing. 
views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the university, its trustees, or its volunteers. Inclusion or exclusion of commercial enterprises in this podcast does not equate endorsement. The University of New Hampshire, New Hampshire counties, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture cooperate to provide extension programming in the Granite State. Learn more at extension.unh.eu.